Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. If you've been listening for the last few months, you've probably caught on that Tuesday episodes are interview episodes, often with expert fraud fighters within e-commerce, but also outside of that, people who maybe you don't always get to hear from, people who I think have a unique perspective or have really had some good accomplishments. And then Thursdays is my time to kind of talk to you guys, whether that's an Ask Carice Anything episode, which is coming, I promise, or, and if you have, side note, if you have questions, you can send them to me. My LinkedIn is probably the easiest, as well as fraud news, topical news information about fraud, deep diving into specific topics. And sometimes it's hard for me to know what I should talk about. Sometimes it's hard to just talk into a microphone. I kind of enjoy the interviews even more, but this is a good time for me to just share information as a conduit, as somebody who has a 10,000 foot view of e-commerce fraud and fintech fraud and trust and safety and chargebacks and payments and all of those pieces that go together just to share information with people. Uh, That is something I enjoy doing on my LinkedIn as well as just on the podcast, obviously. And one of the things I thought about today as far as what would be important to talk about and what would be timely is based on the last three episodes of interviews with Diana Gajic Physic at JD Sports North America. It used to be called Finish Line, so I find myself <laughs> like stuttering over her title and her name, as well as the last two episodes with Gary Novello Jr., who's from Macy's and he's the director of fraud strategy and analytics. Both of them really provided a lot of great experience and information. I think Gary touched on a lot of things, especially for retailers that have in-store commerce in the channel as well as e-commerce. If you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend it. All three episodes, actually. But I've been hearing a lot from people, notes, and just in regular conversations throughout business of people saying, wow, that last podcast episode you had with Diana or with Gary was really insightful. I didn't know X, Y, Z. So I thought that maybe I would touch down on this topic of through line in all three of those conversations, was just the importance of demonstrating value to your company, the importance of gaining respect internally. And it is not easy. And I know that because I was a fraud fighter once on the front lines and I didn't do it the right way all the time. Uh, I think there's something to be said about the way we think and the way people who are drawn to fraud, fraud fighting, sometimes we just assume that people know what we're doing or we care more about the analytics and details within our own organization and our own team. But then when we need to make a business case for new technology or when we need to talk to another team, that can be really challenging. And honestly, if I have observed anything in the last two years about just how much fraud is changing, it's that more and more, it's not only focus on payment fraud. It's not just about chargeback mitigation. It's not just about identifying people who are using stolen payment methods. There's so many other pieces of fraud out there. And 
and impacts to your company's brand and your revenue, bottom line. That can include account takeovers with or without a financial component. Account takeovers are dangerous and impactful to your business. That can mean loyalty fraud, promo code of gift card fraud, all these different pieces of it. Gift with purchase fraud was something that Gary mentioned in the last episode that I was like, I don't know if I've talked about that before. So all these other pieces and the opportunity and the problem with those types of fraud that are outside payment method or outside payment fraud is that most fraud departments are built really around preventing a chargeback. And Diana talked a lot about that too, about prioritizing your KPIs. She prioritizes approval rate over anything else, how many orders, what the percentage of the orders are that they approve over the percentage of orders that they decline. Depending on your business model, there's a lot of things there, but All of those things can be important because a lot of these newer fraud methods or maybe they're old fraud methods, but they're just multiplying so quickly. I mean, refund fraud is such a good example, but so are all these others is that a lot of them, they can't be taken care of or mitigated within the confines of a fraud department or a trust and safety department. You have to work with customer service or your warehouse or finance or marketing. And so it's really important to demonstrate the value of what you're doing and just how integral it is into every other part of the business. And I think for too long, we've siloed ourselves and then we'll complain and and place blame elsewhere when we are frustrated that other parts of the company don't understand what we're doing or the importance of it. So... In this episode, I'm going to talk about, just based on the popularity of those episodes, I thought I would dive in a little bit more about why this can be hard, why it's worth the effort, and I'm going to provide a few other ways that merchants have achieved this utopia of working with other departments and really demonstrating their value and in turn gaining respect and buy-in and all of that from other departments that I think can be learned from. I definitely think that Diana and Gary have great lessons and provided great examples, but there's always more than one way to do something. And I think that some ways are going to work for some companies and some leaders more than others. So also, I thought I'd mention that that the post I did about Diana's episode and just talking about how challenging it can be to work with other departments got over 10,000 views on LinkedIn, which is you know a little more than my average post. So that definitely indicates that this is important to you and I'm not surprised. But again, it's not something that's always covered. I think because the majority of content within our industry comes from service providers and that just may not be something that they realize is so important to fraud operations or just internal conversations as much. And they may not have as much advice to give. So this is where I try to fill the gap. I have a conversation with one of my clients who's on the vendor side this past week, and he said that he really appreciated hearing from Diana and Gary because he hadn't really fully understood just all of the importance and all of the different pieces of working internally to get a decision made, especially about external technology coming in, and that that's actually helped him do his job better and be a little more empathetic on the merchant side. So I I appreciated hearing that and hope you all do too. And I also hope that that person who I know listens when they're training for an Ironman is smiling right now, knowing that I mentioned him. So 
why working it to erase the silos within your company is important. That's kind of what I wrote down on my notebook. But I think most of you guys know why it's important, right? You can deputize other departments to keep an eye out for suspicious activity and more eyes equals more opportunities to protect your company. I don't know how often I would have customer service agents come to me when I managed my own fraud department and say, hey, I'm seeing this really weird activity or this weird IP in the chat or whatever it was. And sometimes it didn't matter, but a lot of times it was like, huh, show me that. Okay, interesting. What do you think is happening? And kind of helping them. And then they're on the front lines. They're the ones talking to people. They're the ones who think, hmm, I think I've heard this voice three other times before calling about three different accounts or just other suspicious behavior. So helping them understand why it's important is going to help you be better at your job. It's also going to help them feel a little part of that and feel pride as they should for when they're able to help. The fraud department can be a central hub for protecting revenue, not just payment fraud, but all areas of online loss. This is something I've talked about a few times. I know when I mentioned several episodes ago that I personally think that fraud departments, though I call them that just out of default, I do think that having a title around revenue protection or something about revenue protection, and and I'm sure there's other variations of that, can send more of a message. When I was talking to Gary before we did our interview, I asked him what the difference was between loss prevention and asset protection. And he said in job duties, there really isn't a difference. But that several years ago, the industry as a whole kind of started moving from loss prevention to asset protection because it has a more positive context to it. It's more we're protecting our assets versus we're preventing losses. It just sounds better and can sometimes lead to more understanding outside of your team. So joining a meeting with other external teams and saying I'm from fraud prevention versus I'm from revenue protection just Revenue protection sounds a little better. Obviously, that's not something that can be done overnight. But if you at least change your team's kind of goals and mission statement around protecting all areas of revenue, that can be helpful. And like I mentioned earlier, it, it can't just be about payment fraud anymore. It needs to be about all areas of loss. Cybersecurity is looking at all areas that or bad actors can infiltrate the systems. Fraud prevention or revenue protection should be focused on all areas that where revenue is at risk of being lost. So that can be promo code abuse, that can be loyalty abuse, that can be sometimes it's internal, having some data around your customer service reps and their refund rates, for example, and just different areas like that within your company. And it's up to you to determine what makes most sense within your business model, within your company culture. But take what you can use and leave what you can't. Also, if you're if you're in a marketplace or fintech, often they can have a real world impact. So customer safety is a big deal as well. That may not impact your revenue, but really could impact brand reputation. And it could impact revenue if you need to pay out a lawsuit or other things like that. So another perk of working with other departments and explaining what you need and why it matters is that often you'll get more resources for your department, whether that's new data, new technology, new headcount. You might have an opportunity to cross-train a few you know, individuals and other teams, whether that's finance for chargebacks or customer service for fraud review. And then you've got a feeder into your department so that when you have some turnover, you can look there first. 
everybody does this a little bit differently, but, and like I said, sometimes there's a need there. Sometimes it's not, it really depends on the size of your company as well. And also where those departments are, right? If customer service is in another country, that might be more difficult to cross train them than if they're in the same city or same office park. Another thing that's important is demonstrating the importance of the brand, right? I think again, Fraud prevention slash revenue protection is way more about just stopping chargebacks anymore. There was a survey that came out this past summer in 2021, I believe Riskify did it, where they surveyed 4,000 consumers in different areas, US, UK, France, and Germany, I think, which not surprisingly are kind of the four main countries that have the most fraud internationally. That's not to discount some of the Latin America activity that's been happening recently, but those are the four countries, especially with refund fraud that I'm seeing. The U.S. is definitely number one, U.K. is number two, and then Germany and France lag quite a bit behind, but they're catching up. But anyway, up to 66% of U.S. consumers, and this is according to that survey, wouldn't buy online again from the shop where their account is compromised. 66%. That is a statistic to share with other members within your organization, especially when you're conveying the importance of account protection. So oftentimes fraud prevention is has been solely focused on transaction monitoring and the transaction piece, but a lot more fraud departments are also being put in charge or working in collaboration with their IT security team for account protection. And I think that's really important. I think it was Gil Rosenthal in my interviews with him a few weeks ago that said it's really important to determine who gets access to having accounts within your system and who has access to existing accounts. And with so many passwords and emails and credentials out there, it's easier for them to be taken over. And so there are some technology companies within fraud that have account protection services. Some are better than others, like all things, as well as there can be additional layers you can place there for account integrity and all of that. I think the biggest thing is how, right? And I have so many notes on this. I'm afraid that I'm going (laughs) to jump all around, but I think that, sorry, I got distracted by a note that I didn't understand, but that's on me for not knowing my handwriting. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. 
But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. When you're talking about just kind of the basics of working with other departments, I think the biggest thing is don't assume that they know what you do. Don't assume that they know the importance. That statistic I just shared is something that you can share to kind of help demonstrate the importance, right? This is what we do. This is why we do it. This is why it's important. I think that there's something to be said that around people often will judge what they don't understand. And so if other departments don't understand what you do, they might just assume that your job is to cancel a lot of sales or to impact growth or to reduce conversion rates. And there are some fraud tactics and strategies and tools that can have that impact. And like Diana said in her interview, sometimes fraud can slow down the process, but it's not always a bad thing to take a step back and say, hey, how can people take advantage of this? I would much rather take a step back and be preventative than a few months down the road going, holy cow, we just lost so much money. And now our brand is synonymous with easy to steal from and all these other impacts that can happen when you're releasing a new product or a new service or a new business model. It's it's your job, right, to explain that and, and help them understand that better. I think the biggest job first is to help other departments and other in your leadership understand the impact of fraud. What happens if it isn't identified and protected? What's going to happen to the business? How many more items are you going to have to sell to make up for those losses? I often integrate some industry survey stats into presentations for clients. One of the most common that I use when talking to executives is the conversion rate that LexisNexis always provides once a year in their true cost of fraud survey. And I believe this year it's for every $1 of fraud. And this is payment fraud, but it's pertainable in other areas too. For every $1 payment fraud, it can cost the business $3.16. That's a lot of, that's a big multiplier. I know that there's so much more focus on e-commerce, on how you're getting customers coming in and all of that and bringing them new. But if you have to, if that's 3X that, what about the customer acquisition costs? Those are lost too, right? So when you're talking to marketing, you can not manipulate, but not change it, just tailor it to what they care about, right? So one example would be, the average bad actor customer costs this much and you're going to have to pay X amount to get six more, seven more, whatever that number is of customers paying the average amount to make up for that, just to split the difference. That means that the more fraud that happens on the back end, it's more work for you on the front end to build our brand and to continue customers, right? And 
if you need to put something in for account security, whether it's two-factor authentication or other solutions in that spot, then you can share this. Well, 60% of people who get their accounts taken over don't want to shop with that retailer again. They'll go to their, their competitor. This is why we need to protect it. And Honestly, a lot of customers are now becoming used to that. It really, like I mentioned on a previous episode, it really varies based off of what your company provides on how much quote unquote friction the consumer is willing to take. But there's a lot of things that can be done on the back end. And so I think thinking that way is really important. What does fraud look like to your company and what they might see in their department? Right. So if you're talking to customer service, explain what social engineering is. Explain some of the things that some of the intentions of social engineering. Right. So maybe it's account lookup. Maybe it's, oh, I forgot my password and big, long story or changing the shipping address if it's a physical item or refund fraud is huge with social engineering right now. So sharing with them what that might look like uh, and just some tips on how to identify it can be super helpful. So I kind of broke down a little bit of what some of the core departments that you might work with care about the most. And this is how I recommend talking to them because it's the things they care about, right? It's their KPIs. Gary talked quite a bit about that, I think, in the first part of our interview of aligning KPIs and knowing what those other departments care about and what they're measured by and aligning your messaging with that. So it just makes sense to them to want to work together and to want to understand what you're looking at and what information you have. Finance is going to care about the dollars, not just chargebacks and product loss, but fees, potential fines that can happen if chargebacks are too high, if your fraud rate is too high. You know, and again, this is back to payment fraud, but there's really strong financial impacts of promo code abuse and loyalty fraud and refund fraud and all these other areas of exposure that they will care about. Marketing, they can sometimes see fraud as an inhibitor to conversion. They can see fraud as sales prevention. But I think it's important to show losses based on marketing campaigns. If you're able to provide data to tie back fraud losses to specific marketing to campaigns, to specific launches, to specific affiliates, they love data. And so that'll help them go, oh, okay. But then also showing them the good marketing campaigns, right? We had a lot less fraud in this marketing campaign. So, hey, maybe we could duplicate that. Maybe we could market to those types of customers rather than these types, etc. So sharing with them information that's going to help them want to course correct. Maybe saying, hey, this marketing campaign cost our company X, but this other marketing campaign actually made us X so or Y. So that's just one example of that. Assure that you're focusing on, assure them, right? So I think when, especially when talking to marketing, but really when talking to anyone in the company, I think it's good for us to assure them that we want our good customers to have a great experience. Of course, we're identifying fraud, but we're trying really hard to, I'm going to assume that you're trying really hard because most of you are, most of you listening to this definitely are, and trying to be more surgical about the orders that we cancel. People in other departments may have come from other companies, or maybe there was a time when your company had more of a broad approach. That was the nature of where technology was at the time. But now we're able to be a little bit more precise and a little bit more sure of it. And so I think that that's important to be able to 
convey to them that, hey, I know who I've said this many times before, but I know who pays my paychecks. Sometimes I'll say it in uh, a client meeting. I'm fully aware of which of your customers are paying my invoices. They're the good ones. I don't want to interfere with them. In fact, I want to make their experience better. I want to be able to make it so that you can be more confident about the orders that you cancel and the orders that you pass and that there are far more orders that you're passing than the ones that you're canceling. So assuring them with that can be very helpful. I believe it was Diana who was talking about offering your consultative advice to other departments, not telling them what to do, but just saying, hey, if you see anything that's that's suspicious to you, that's different, I'd be happy to help out and just provide my two cents if you'd like it. Not telling them what to do or how to do it, but offering your help when it's needed. You can provide extra data. Departments get very excited about data that you might have. And honestly, there's a lot of customer and business intelligence information in fraud prevention. You can learn a lot about your customers that maybe other indicators on the front end wouldn't give. So providing that to them can be helpful, right? How can I help you versus how can you help me as a first interaction? That's something that Gary talked about and something that I think is very important. It's helped a lot of fraud leaders, especially in Silicon Valley, to have a set PowerPoint deck that provides an intro into fraud to the other areas of business and tailor it to each department, right? So tailoring, kind of having the same slides that talk about what you do and companies you work with and what you see and all of those things, and then tailoring it to marketing campaigns, brand awareness, et cetera. That can be very helpful. I know long before COVID, there were several merchants who would provide lunch and learns or to specific departments or offer to buy lunch for other teams. You know, you could definitely offer to provide a voucher to a food delivery service if that's something within your department budget. And then host a Zoom call now. This is kind of a post-COVID strategy. But other departments have offered, instead of going out to each team, they've asked to create a task force or a fraud squad or whatever they call it. And bringing in each one of those departments and saying, hey, I need your help. We're going to have a meeting at a regular cadence, whether it's bi-weekly or monthly, and talk about the KPIs within fraud, and then kind of talk about how each department impacts them and and just have open conversations. And that's, that's been really helpful, especially with quick service restaurants. There's about three or four I know that do this, or at least have done this on a regular basis. And a lot of times they were born out of need and necessity very quickly and sometimes happen weekly. But then as different fires were put out, then they would be put a little bit further apart. But that can be a really great strategy to bring in the leaders of these other departments and just have some open communication. It can also help customer service to know, hey, we're seeing a spike on this kind of fraud. So you might see a spike in these kind of calls or the warehouse, right? Like, hey, our competitors are saying that they're seeing this kind of issue or we think that there might be some refund fraud. Are you seeing items that weren't ever ordered from our company coming back in returns. You know, is there a way that we can get some of that information that we can share it across 
our departments so that we can help you. Just there's all different kinds of examples in that. But I think what's critical is building those relationships are going to help you down the line. They're going to mean extra work for you at first. But once you have those in place and they start to know that you can be relied on and you have credibility and you care about your company and your brand and your revenue and everything else and that you can be very helpful they'll start to come to you proactively and then also when you need something when you need to call marketing and say what the heck are you doing or hey can you provide us a heads up on these campaigns beforehand you have that camaraderie and you've already built that credibility you're not picking up the phone for the first time and asking them to send you information they're going to be really put off guard and probably pretty territorial so if you're able to create that internal collaboration then it helps with other needs, right? And that need might be data. It might need be technology. It might be, hey, you guys have this problem and we have that problem. And I found a tool that I think might help us both. Maybe we can split the budget. I know that's something that Diana has done recently and that that's been really helpful for their team to get just an extra layer of authentication and verification in addition to all their core tools. And it's been helpful to say, hey, I think this can benefit both of us. Or you have this piece of data about affiliates and who's coming in and what basically the log data of where customers are coming in from, that would be significantly helpful to us. And here's why. Other suggestions, sharing data and metrics regularly with stakeholders. So when I was, and this feels like a million years ago, but when I was managing my own team, I set out a report once a month. I did it myself. Nobody asked me for it. I just started sending it out, comparing monthly chargeback rates and dollars and percentages and just a few key attributes. And then also historical, right? So last month was this, this month is this, and then a graph to show chargebacks going down, revenues going up. And that really helped me a lot. It ended up becoming talking points to the board of directors from our CEO. Sometimes it was because there probably was another better news from other departments, but yeah, that's another story. It was a startup that didn't exactly go up. So there were definitely some challenges in the last few months, but he would often refer to my reports in those talking points to say, hey, we're doing a good job here. Other departments would say, wow, what, what do you think is working there? Or how can we help make that better? Or I saw there was a spike. Is there anything we can do? It was something I proactively did, but something that really benefited me. And I also had data that I could then put on my resume to say, I did X, I did Y. If you're not tracking your own performance in that way, I highly recommend it for your own professional development, as well as for working with other departments for building that credibility. Definitely using outside sources like surveys, like I mentioned, I think that can be really helpful. If you see something that you think would be of interest to one of those departments, forward it along. Hey, I saw this in my regular industry reading. I thought this might be something you'd be interested in. Don't be afraid to name drop competitors in a positive way. I have hosted many collaboration calls in different groups over the years, but there's also, whether you're involved in those or not, there's also industry events and conferences and webinars and such where other big brands are talking about what their fraud processes are or what they're doing. And you can say, hey, I listened to a podcast with the head of fraud at JD Sports North America or the head of fraud strategy and analytics at Macy's. And this is what they're doing. This is what they care about. This is what 
what they've seen. Granted, there are a lot of things like specific metrics that I will never ask on this podcast. I will never share on this podcast and often don't get discussed at industry events. But there are enough tidbits where it often kind of piques their interest. Wait, what what do our competitors do? Who do they use? Well, I have a whole rant about only using uh, a fraud tool or any other technology because your competitor does, but I'll save that for another day. But it can be very important to share, hey, they have a team of 10. We only have two or they're doing X, Y, Z to recover more funds from chargebacks or they're looking at refund fraud in a really unique way or they're doing this about loyalty fraud that can be really helpful and build your credibility right the more information you can provide that helps them do their job better and helps them understand the legacy or the landscape more is really going to help those inner department inner company the internal collaboration and that's really your goal and i know i probably sound like Susie sunshine and like this is the easiest thing that you can do it's not but i do think that oftentimes we get caught up in our day-to-day lives that we aren't intentional about this step and then when something catches on fire so to speak or there's a big emergency we can get really frustrated that other departments don't understand our value or didn't know to bring us in or made a big mistake that impacted chargebacks, right? Like maybe billing accidentally double billed everyone. Who knows? It, I've heard crazier stories. So I think that those those are all things that can be really important. And then, you know, just backing up with what Diana said, right? The order of your metrics within your department, the order of the metrics that your entire team goes by can actually impact your focus and your focus can impact how others view you within your team and within your company. So I think prioritizing the percentage of approvals over the chargebacks is really important. There are too many teams. I did a fraud operation survey several years ago that really provided a lot of information to help fraud teams do their jobs better. And one of them was around what are your key performance indicators? And a lot of them were around chargebacks. But then those same people said that one of their biggest challenges was false positives. Well, if you're solely focusing on your losses and you're looking at those and every time you have a team member meeting or a one-on-one, you're saying, well, here's a char- here's a fraud you missed. Here's a chargeback that came through on an order that you reviewed. What's going to happen next? They're going to cancel more orders because they're worried they're going to create more chargebacks. So having more of that balance of wow, congratulations of all the orders that you reviewed, this many you passed and they never turned into chargebacks. That's absolutely means you did your job. Prioritizing that over how much they lost is important. Now, I'm not saying don't talk about missed fraud, but maybe talk about what they did right first, right? Talk about all the percentage of orders that they passed that never turned into chargebacks or an initiative that they did with another department that turned into positive. Things like that. I think what you focus on and what people feel like their bonuses and their raises are based on and their performance is based on, it matters. And it impacts not only your team's performance, but the perception of your team within your company. One last suggestion I have, and this is probably more applicable to big brand names, but I know a lot of you listen, and that is you can show screenshots of what fraudster forums or what bad actors within fraudster forums are saying about your company. This is something that I do sometimes in discovery calls with merchants, primarily when we're talking about refund fraud. 
and I'll share with them what these bad actors are saying. Often they're saying, oh, it's so easy or this company is wide open. That can often be enough, especially for your leadership team to say, uh, this is how these users are talking about our brand in public spaces. I found these on public forums. You can only imagine what they're saying in private forums. If you're asking me, how can you get those information and how can you get those screenshots? Uh, I think the best way is to work with an e-crime intelligence company. This is something I think is a, a core part of doing business is knowing what the bad actors are saying and, and how they're talking about getting around your systems. And there is one key e-crime intelligence company that I refer to, but there are several. Oftentimes they're referred to as dark web monitoring companies. But the truth is that a lot of these conversations aren't really happening on the dark web anymore, especially when you're looking at non-payment fraud techniques around refund fraud, loyalty fraud, promo code abuse, all of those different things. So another source you can look at is if you need to do it on your own, you can search your company name in Reddit, Discord, Telegram, some of the social media sites. It can be a little bit harder and you're not going to find everything, but it is one way to do it. So sometimes that's, I think the most of the ways are the carrot. This is kind of more the stick, but it can be a good tool to use to say, hey, this is why we need this tool is because these are the things they found. For instance, I worked with a well-known company a couple of years ago and they couldn't figure out what exactly was happening and, and what was happening on the other side. And so I introduced them to this e-crime intelligence company and they provided a proof of concept, which for them means kind of a data dump of all the things they found on about this company, including compromised accounts, credentials, specific credentials, as well as methods that were being used, et cetera. And that really showed the company, oh, wow, we have more areas of opportunity than we realized, but they shared that up the line. And all of a sudden, leaders found the budget to pay for the service continually so that they always were in the loop and could basically reverse engineer what these fraudsters were saying about them to be able to prevent it in the future. So with that, I think that's going to wrap it up. This was quite a large data dump from my brain to yours, but I hope you found it helpful. I would love to know which pieces were helpful to you, which parts you might try, what might not have been helpful. I really enjoy the interaction with my listeners, you guys and myself. So please keep it up and let me know how we can improve. And I will talk to you more next week. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.